Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Hey, Caleb, my friend, how is it going today? My back hurts. <laughs> Don't ever get old like me, Jason. Uh, it's too late. I'm sorry to hear that, <laughs> Caleb. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Well, sometimes when I'm feeling down, I sing a little song about all the things that I'm grateful for. But I'm not down. My back just hurts. I'm just in physical pain. In fact, my spirits are quite high and today. And it goes a little something like this. Jason, stop. There's a, stop. <laughs> I think we should just have a Manhattan instead. Oh, yeah, okay. I can get down with that. All right. What are we talking about with our Manhattans, Caleb? Well, Jason, uh, hopefully this is the start of a series centered around Manhattans because we love them so much and we've waited almost 15 episodes to start talking about them. We love Manhattans and all the different variations on Manhattans that are out there so much that we're going to start a series and we're going to call it the Manhattan Project. Jason, are you familiar with the Manhattan Project? Yeah, awesome. Yes, I am. Uh, wasn't it the project started by the Freemasons in the late, I think, 17th century, designed to engineer a society based solely on ancient indoor barrier program? I think that was deemed even too extreme uh, uh, for the. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because you're, you're not even close, man. <laughs> it was basically the start nope. of the nuclear pro- program here in the United States, oh. which in turn led yeah, to yeah. the beginning of the space program. You could say the Manhattan Project was the start of rocket science. Well, yeah, that Manhattan Project was the start of rocket science. And, uh, you know, that's cool. But first of all, Caleb, it's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> Secondly, why are we talking about rocket science on a financial cocktail show? Well, Jason, a lot of people think that investing is rocket science. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, it isn't. Because if it were, you and I could not do it. Well, speak for yourself. But hopefully this is the start (laughs) of a series on the fundamentals of investing. It is not rocket science, folks. We are starting a series um, on the fundamentals of investing, and we're going to pair it up with Manhattans, and we are going to have a great time. Yes, we are. And to kick off this series, we're starting with a topic that's applicable to most of our listeners, your 401k. Nice. So how should you invest in your 401k? How do you go about investing in your 401k in the first place? We'll give you some practical advice because it is not, in fact, rocket science. But I digress. Hmm. The Manhattan. We're going to kick this off with the original Manhattan, Jason. That's great. Caleb, I'm so pumped about the Manhattan. I love it. So we should check in with our good pal, Dave Embry, mm-hmm. and uh, see what he has to say about this iconic cocktail. And his recipe is Dave Embry-like. It's very boozy. There's a lot of whiskey in this. It's five parts American whiskey, one part of Italian or sweet vermouth, a dash of Angostura bitters, and you stir it with ice straight into a cocktail glass, and you serve garnished with a maraschino cherry. Mm. And that's it. That's it. That is a, a pretty boozy recipe. It's been a little while since we've gone back to Dave Embry, uh, but mm-hmm. that's a good place to start. This one of the essential six. So you got to yeah. start there. I, I do mine a little bit differently, and I've been drinking Manhattan's for quite a while. And I, I don't know, it's one of my go-tos. I, I got to say, 
martinis and Manhattans have been my drink of choice lately. So I've been making them a little different at home. What we're sipping on actually right now, because uh, we've had a couple of these in preparation for the show, is two parts rye whiskey. And in this case, we used Whistle Pig, 10-year aged. Hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> Whistle Pig. Oink. So basically two ounces of Whistle Pig rye. I like a rye because uh, it's got that spiciness. And then I go up to one ounce of sweet vermouth. So a two to one versus a five to one ratio. The sweet vermouth of choice, it's got to be Carpano Antica. We also, we have Kochi as well, which we're using today because we're out of Carpano. And it's very good. However, Carpano Antica makes a huge, huge difference. So two to one. I still throw the bitters in there, Angostura bitters. Again, stir with ice, strain it into a cocktail glass, and serve garnished with a maraschino or a, a to be specific, Luxardo maraschino cherry. And it is, it's just great. Mwah. It's beautiful. And before we move on, because I have it written down here, I, it's not my handwriting, but the recipe for the best Manhattan cocktail ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is a variation that we uh, we whipped up. And boy, we were feeling really smart when we came up with this. What if we did this? What if we did this? And then come to find out, Jerry Thomas had done this recipe in the 1860s. So yeah. <laughs> I'm excited that we were thinking along the same lines as America's bartender. <laughs> but we didn't invent it. Uh, if we did invent it, boy we would be very proud of ourselves. But we mixed up a couple of these and around the office, this seems to be the most popular variation. We used Weller 107, Weller Antique 107, I believe. Mm -hmm. So two ounces of that, three quarters of an ounce of Contro. You could use triple sec, but I recommend using Contro. (laughs) Uh, Three quarters ounce of this Kochi Vermouth, three dashes of Angostura bitters. And then we uh, garnish this one with an orange peel as well as a Luxardo cherry. And that's pretty fantastic too. So yeah, we celebrated a little bit with Manhattans. We went a little overboard with preparation. We tried a couple different variations, (laughs) Uh, but there's a lot of different variations. So I I think this series is going to be really fun. It's going to give us a lot of opportunity to get into some of these cool variations of Manhattans that are out there. And we'll dive into various financial topics that are in fact, not rocket science and hopefully have a blast doing it. Yeah, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. Manhattans have a depth and a width to them that we're never going to finish. Like we can we can stay on the surface of Manhattans. Yeah. And talk about them forever. We could dive really deep into the to the details of it too. And Yeah, you looked at how to make bitters and things like that. I know, it was exciting. <laughs> there are so many different types of vermouths and way that ways that that's made. We could talk just about vermouth, Caleb. Mm-hmm. That's why it fits so well with basically investing is not rocket science. Uh when we have talk to people and gotten feedback from our show and in the speakeasy too. most people, this is finance. What most people think of with finance and especially a finance podcast is investing. Mm-hmm. So we want to address that with this series. Maybe we're thinking a monthly thing. We'll see how often this pops back up, but it'll be our Manhattan project. Yeah. Talking about investing. I, I'm excited. Like you said, people think of a finance podcast maybe as an investing podcast. That's a pretty important part of what we do. Um, but again, the reason that a lot of people struggle with this or even put it off is because it is a little bit intimidating and and they look at it like it's more complicated than it really is. So hopefully mm-hmm. we can shed some light on some of these things, give you a good base level of understanding. Um, and again, have a lot of fun in the process. So, uh, Jason, you've got a little bit of history on the Manhattan there, don't you? Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the Manhattan. This is a great drink. Caleb, 
Yes. Right now, you just <laughs> said what your two favorite cocktails were that you were going back and forth on. What are those? Will you tell our listeners again? Martinis and Manhattans. When I say <laughs> martini, this isn't a martini episode, but I'm going to clarify gin martini. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a dirty martini, to be specific. Uh, yes, you're a fan of the dirty martini. We talked about martinis and the history of those many an episode ago on the gold episode, if you want to look for that. We talk about gold. We talk about martinis. And I say right a lot. <laughs> Is that the episode where you were doing the, <laughs> the right? Right? <laughs> the martinis were uh, hitting the spot. <laughs> but the Manhattan and the martini, I bring that up, Caleb, because they're related. Oh, they're, okay. They basically were born... One right after another. They're, they're mm-hmm. siblings. The Manhattan probably came first, though. Okay. Because basically we had, uh, in the mid-1800s or so, America was getting libaceous and enjoying their cocktails quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But mostly the cocktail was a hard spirit. Like, you get your brandy, your gin, your rum, uh, whiskey, and you kind of put some bitters in it, maybe a little sweet. What did you say? You put a little bitters put in a glass? Put some booze in a glass. <laughs> you put some sweet in a glass. Something like that. You put some bitter in a glass. Put some bitter in a glass. You got yourself a drink. And uh, <laughs> so that's that's mostly how folks were drinking cocktails in America in the mid-1800s. Eventually, wines and spiced wines and this whiny kind of beverage called vermouth cropped up. I was reading David Wondrich on this, his book Imbibe. Totally recommend again to everyone. I should probably recommend that every episode. It was talking about the history of this and talking about cocktails being that really booze, liquor forward, hot, spicy, with a little bit of bitters in it drink and punches coming out. A punch doesn't accent the one liquor like a cocktail really does. It's more Mm -hmm. of a blend. You want an even blend of everything. And what happened is basically a marriage of these two philosophies came about when the Americans started messing around with vermouth when it came over here. It didn't take too long. There's two theories. Either somebody was thinking, oh, vermouth is nice, but it's not powerful enough. Let's add some booze to it. Mm -hmm. Or they were thinking, this cocktail is nice, but it's kind of kicking my butt. (laughs) Yeah. Let's bring it down a couple notches here and make it more complex. Yeah, which might be why we opted for the two parts whiskey, one part vermouth rather than the five parts whiskey, one part vermouth. I like bourbon. I like it by itself, but if you have the right vermouth, it really it it's pleasant. It's really nice. I like I like more of it. Yeah. Definitely. And you were a wine guy before you were a cocktail guy. A long time ago. Yeah. Uh, The wife and I used to do some vineyard trips and things like that. That was a lot of fun. Wine just gives me a headache uh, because I like reds. I like the dry reds. Not a big sweet wine drinker. Never really was. Vermouth, maybe a little different story. Just have a little bit of that in with a a really spicy drink like rye, like we have in the Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It's a, they just play off of each other really well. Yeah. So that's, that's really how it came to pass. Who actually invented the Manhattan is really up for grabs. Jim Manhattan. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, Bond, Manhattan Bond (laughs) or Erasmus Manhattan. (laughs) No, it was, uh, it was probably the Manhattan Club. I think that was in San Francisco. I'm checking okay. my notes and I didn't write down where that was. But probably the Manhattan Club has the most claim to where this came from. At around this time, lots of people were mixing vermouth and spirits to figure out what they what they liked. It turns out that brandy and vermouth never really caught on. We're going to have to try that sometime. Hmm. Uh, and eventually people were like, let's do gin and vermouth. And they're like, oh, my goodness, we're onto something. And that drink, the martini, got way more popular than Man- the Manhattan. But the Manhattan was out and it was written about quite a bit. And it confused bartenders at first because nobody knew what that was. It was called a couple of different things. Uh, the Manhattan cocktail. But it was also called the Turf Club cocktail and the Jockey Club cocktail. 
Interesting. So some newspapers were writing about it. It was notable enough. Um, but wherever it really came from, I'm thankful that it happened because this is a this is a way to kind of tone down the booziness of a cocktail. But the complexity in here is so good. And the combinations, like we said earlier, are endless. It's yeah. awesome. There's lots of really cool variations. We were <laughs> when we were preparing this episode and and reading the different recipes and things like that and just imagining the different things we could add because we've had I don't want I'm not going to spoil it we've had some some really cool variations at some oh, yeah. different speakeasies and things like that that we've hit up over the past couple of months but just some of the different interesting things that some bartenders are doing like even throwing hot sauce in there is a possibility I mean the options are endless and I'm willing to try all kinds of stuff so it's going to be really exciting. I love Manhattans. Maybe it's because I really like rye whiskey uh, as a base. I would say if you're listening at home and you're you're mixing up a drink with us and you don't like the spiciness, you can substitute this with a bourbon and it's still very, very good. The bourbon is a little bit sweeter, but big difference being the mix You know, between bourbon and rye and a bourbon, you're going to have higher corn, which makes for a sweeter drink versus higher rye in the mash which which gives you more of that spiciness so i like the yeah. spiciness i think the spiciness with the sweet vermouth really really go go together well but the office you know they they seem to like the bourbon variation that we made <laughs> it is better, sweeter so. they have more sweet tooths but man you've we've got to reiterate the importance of a great vermouth yeah with this drink because we both had had manhattans i think before and we're buying the three or four dollar bottle vermouth that was just yeah. widely available you know you can get it at your kroger's or we're something. not going to say any yeah. names. There's two name no. brands, or two, two really, probably the most widely available that are just... Uh, yeah, they're all right, I guess. But when we upgraded to a nice one, and that Carpano Antica uh, formula is so good. That was a game changer. I didn't realize that I loved Definitely. Manhattans until I had that uh, I in agree. a Manhattan. So if, we, if you're going to mix up your own, I recommend that. You could try it the way we did, but you get yourself a strong rye, get yourself a really nice vermouth and some Angostura bitters and make sure you garnish it with a really fancy cherry. And you're going to feel like you're going to feel like a million bucks when you have that cocktail. I just ate the cherry. <laughs> That's a good, good uh, bow on, on this one. Let's wrap <laughs> up the drink talk and get to the finance topic. Let's get down to the money, <laughs> Caleb. All right. So today, Jason, we're talking about 401ks. Really, for a lot of people out there, most people out there, they have some kind of work retirement plan available, whether it is a 401k or a 403b or a 457. A lot of these uh, things are going to be plug and play, but we're going to just talk about the 401k uh, today to start. And a lot of these things are going to be applicable, really, whatever your plan happens to be. So this should be very beneficial for most of our audience out there, I would hope. Yeah, specifically investing in your 401k. But if you've got a 403b or a SEP IRA or a simple IRA or some other employer-sponsored plan, a lot of this might apply to you too. But we'll, we'll keep this in the realm of 401k for right now. Well, and a lot of people say 401k whether they have one or not. So yeah, again, right. um, this is really basically your work retirement plan uh, that's available to you. <laughs> isn't, uh, most of these things work similarly. It's a lot like a brand naming, isn't it? Like 401k has yeah. be, just become a colloquial term for your retirement plan. Just like you say Band-Aid when you need a yeah, bandage. That's a good point. A sticky Band-Aid. What what's even the... I don't even know what they're called without the brand Band-Aid. Band Is it just like adhesive bandage strip? <laughs> uh, or Kleenex. Vaseline is petroleum jelly. Kleenex are paper nose blower 
towels. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. A lot of people say they have a 401k. They don't have a 401k, but that's okay because it works pretty much the same in most cases. There's Usually. There's nuance there. We'll try definitely. to be careful when 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 those differences pop up. So we'll, we'll try to keep it with uncontroversial, I hope. All right. So... Jason, let's <laughs> let's just start where we should, reading the tax code. Of course. We're going to get into IRS section 401 mm-hmm. in 45 minutes. Then we'll start talking about what that means to everybody. <laughs> Here goes. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of people realize that, man. <laughs> <laughs> now that everyone's got a, a couple of Manhattans in them, just... Sit back, listen to the tax code. I promise it'll be all right. If you haven't slept well the last couple of nights, this will do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, folks don't realize the 401k is the name. So we're going to start with why it's called that. It's really just the the IRS tax code line that you would find this at. Section 401, subsection K, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to leave it there because yeah, uh, let's not talk I about am taxes. currently taking a break from the tax code <laughs> while I await test results. Uh, no, I don't think I'm dying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I have um, sat through the IRS, two of the three tests that I have to take here. And um, before I go on to the third, I get to wait a couple of months until I find out how I did on the last one. So that's that's it for everyone out there listening. All you got to know is it's part of the tax code that makes this option available to you. Um, aside from that, don't don't go reading the IRS section four zero one. I mean, you, um, you can if you're unless you're having trouble sleep. Yeah, if you're having trouble sleeping, that's a different. Or you enjoy story. hurting yourself. Yeah. The IRS makes a bunch of rules for how your four hundred one k can work, but let's talk about the logistics of how your four hundred one k got established and how it's probably working. Okay. So you probably know that your employer offers it if they offer it, that you should take advantage and that there are other people involved. So there's a plan sponsor. That would be your employer. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a third party administrator, sometimes just referred to as a TPA. And they make sure that your employer is really just following the rules, following that IRS code 401. (laughs) Um, there's a record keeper. They make sure that all of the transactions are accounted for and the like, and, uh, make sure your payroll deductions and everything are correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sometimes the TPA and the record keeper are the same companies use places like fidelity for that reason, knowing that's important, but it might not make a big difference to you. Uh, you who are making the contributions to the 401k. Yeah. So what really does make the difference to you, Joe public, we're going to talk about making contributions, right? Punch in the time clock. Uh, Sit back, youngin, while I talk at you for a minute. (laughs) First thing people think about when when it comes to their 401ks is that they should participate. Mm -hmm. Everybody tells you from the time you get your first job, you you should invest in your 401k. But there is a very alarming fact. According to Bloomberg in 2017, two out of three, Jason, Americans who have a 401k available are not using them. Holy essing F, Batman. <laughs> that is alarming, uh, especially because many of those employees employers are, are giving out matches. That's they're giving out free money, free money that match. I, I don't I think people hear that term. You should you should in, uh, invest in the 401k. There's X amount match. OK, that sounds good. What does that mean? It means free money, folks. <laughs> if you have a match, think free money, free money. Okay. Yeah, uh, Jason, we've both reviewed clients' 401k plans, have we not? We Some we find to be... Wait. Yes, we have. Yes. We have. Yeah. I have. Yeah. No, we... Yes, we... Yes, we have not? If you ask somebody, have we not, how do you answer All right. 
How? What's the correct answer? Have we not? I'm not going to ask you any more questions. Jason, we have both reviewed clients' 401k plans. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Some we find to be quite robust, actually, uh, in the offerings that they have, uh, available options. Others are lacking, to say the least. Mm-hmm. However, a company match is free money. So I don't care if you have three funds available. Let's say there's a conservative, a moderate, and aggressive, and you say, oh, I don't participate in my 401k because the the options are terrible. Okay, so if you have a 5% match and you put uh, 5% of your paycheck in there, your return is 100%. Mm-hmm. You put five in, they put five in. So what if you have lousy funds? You already made 100%. Um, there's not a whole lot of options out there that are going to give you that. Yeah, even if you got bad investment options, Getting 100% return is really hard to beat. You should participate. Uh, Double your money right away by investing in your 401k if you have a match. Right up to the match. So rule number one is invest in your 401k. It's not rocket science. Mm -mm. (laughs) Your starting point for investing needs to be at your employer's plan up to the match. So for example, like we just said, 5%, maybe 5% is the match. You ought to find a way to contribute 5% so you can get all the free money that's available. Unless, um, we'll circle back to that. We're going to debate, because okay. a lot of people do ask that right away. How much do I put into my 401k? And the easy money answer is up to the match. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but let's let's come back to how your 401k works, Caleb. Okay. Like, um, kind of how it's set up. Uh, I don't, a lot of people have questions about this, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to different investment op- or different s- sections of the 401k. Like a lot of folks have the option to have a Roth 401k and they've yeah. got a traditional 401k. And of course, those are defined by the IRS tax code as how they operate. But uh, talk a little bit about the Roth 401k and what happens. How does your money get in there? How does the company money get in there? Just Tell yeah. us tell us that for a little bit. So I, I think that folks out there who have invested in a 401k for some time are probably familiar with a traditional 401k. Uh, if you've been at your company for, I'm going to say, let's say maybe 10 years or longer, this is probably the only option that you've had. Um, and, and basically it works like this. You put X amount of your paycheck into your 401k and that money is looked at as pre-tax. So it's a deduction on your taxes. It's it's basically, you know, if you made $100,000, but you put $5,000 into your traditional 401k, your W-2 is going to reflect that you made $95,000 because what you put in is tax deferred, okay? And the idea of that is that money continues to grow tax deferred. And we've talked about this in prior episodes so that when you retire and are in a insert laugh here, <laughs> lower tax bracket. <laughs> we'll see about that. When taxes go down in the future because the government needs less money. <laughs> Supposedly, you'll take that money out at a lower income tax bracket and pay less taxes. We'll see about that. But that's how the traditional 401k works. Now, we've talked about Roth IRAs here uh, on the podcast and the tax benefits of that. You know, same scenario. Let's say uh, you put uh, you made a hundred thousand dollars and you put five thousand into a Roth. Okay, your W two is going to show that you made a hundred thousand dollars. You didn't get a deduction, but that money being taxed before it goes in grows tax free until you take it out in retirement. So the Roth IRA, you know, if you go back to the the Roth episode that we did with New Riff and all that, that is a great option. Why not incorporate that into the uh, the four hundred one k space? So. 
we did. It's becoming a lot more popular option. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more employers are adopting this. There's actually some legislation out there. I told you I was taking a break from the tax code, but I can't stay away. I just need to talk about taxes. <laughs> Work that tax <laughs> code, Caleb. <laughs> Work it. Uh, there's a, a possible Secure Act 2.0 coming out that's going to change some things and make them even more available and also open up for simple plan folks and SEP plan folks, Roth options and those kinds of programs as well. So I'm getting my hopes up. Yes, it's (laughs) it's really exciting. Honestly, Uh, it's a big game changer. So far, everything I've seen in this quote unquote Secure Act 2.0 looks awesome. I'm waiting for them to lower the boom. But in a nutshell, the Roth has become an option inside of 401ks for many, and it's not advertised real well. So let's say that you've been at your employer for 10 years and you've been investing in the traditional 401k. They might have adopted the, the Roth option and not really communicated that well to you, and you're still contributing to the traditional. Good, you're still contributing, but you could be contributing in a, a more beneficial way, possibly, from a tax standpoint. So Open enrollment is coming up here in, let's say, four or five months where you learn a little bit more about your benefits package. We'll get into uh, when we distill it down and give some action items. Uh, This is where you want to start. Find out what's available, traditional or Roth, and find out what you can take advantage of. A Roth IRA has a lot of stipulations as far as income and who can contribute. That's out the window when it comes to a Roth 401k. Okay, So if you make too much money, it's all right. You can still contribute. You also aren't constricted to the $6,000 limit or $7,000 if you're taking advantage of the catch-up. In fact, you can put $19,500 into your Roth 401k or you get the catch-up as well uh, at age 50. So, uh, And that's another $6,000, I think. So that's pretty meaningful if you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. That's really important that we know what is available, traditional uh, or Roth, Jason, explain a little bit about how the matching works, though, in a Roth versus a traditional. Yeah, if you put if you get a company match, let's say it's three percent of your pay, a hundred percent of your pay up to three percent is usually how they say it. So mm-hmm. you do that, you will put your money in. Let's say you just put in three percent of your pay into your four hundred one, your Roth four hundred one k, because you decided that was an awesome option. The company will put your match into the traditional side. Right now, because of, I don't want to get into it, I guess, a lot, but because the IRS doesn't want the company to be able to expense everything (laughs) and not pay any taxes, they have to put their money, their portion goes into the traditional 401k side of it. So, Well, also, the company likes taking that deduction, too. Well, yeah, they They have to. They get a deduction for those contributions. So they they like those deductions as well. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, it's good, but they don't even have the option to put it in the Roth side. Right. <laughs> so they have to. It's not it's not because they're being greedy. They cannot put their their contribution into your Roth section. Yet. Don't be upset yet. <laughs> I had I actually you it was you. We had somebody that didn't know uh, or thought because their company had communicated to them that yeah. if they put their contribution into the Roth 401k section, the company would not match. No, it wasn't me that thought that. It was a client of mine that thought that. That's what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was a client of mine. Oh, yeah, it was you, Caleb. Caleb, <laughs> you thought this. Hey, Jason, how's my money doing, by the way? <laughs> I lost it all. Oh, man. Well, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's how this thing works, right? <laughs> so that's a misnomer. I talked to a prospective client who told me, yeah, we have a Roth available, but I was told that we don't get the match. Well, that's not true. That's illegal for one. <laughs> the the kind of truth in the details, uh, what got lost there was, well, we can't match on the traditional side, but we still give you the free money on the traditional side. 
Did I just say that backwards? You can't match the Roth side. The Roth side. They can put the match in the same dollars into the, the traditional, in the traditional side. side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's still good. It's still okay. I'll take the free money tax right. later. It's awesome. It's still good. It's a great deal, y'all. <laughs> Hopefully that explained right. a little bit about how it works. Uh, if you have more questions, pop them in the speakeasy. 401ks can be confusing. If you've got access to it, you got to try to use it. So you got to kind of yeah. understand how it works. All right, let's answer that question that is next, which is how much should I invest in my 401k? Yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm just going to say, and this is where I might differ from some big personalities out there in personal finance. Jason Demland. Jason Demland being <laughs> one of them. This is one of those things that we've debated. But, you know, the idea of not investing in a work retirement plan while you're still in debt, I understand. I totally understand the logic. I just have a hard time because I know how humans are wired. Let's say it takes you seven years to get out of debt. That's seven years of free money that you're not taking advantage of. So I kind of work it into the budget as much as I can and say, look, if the company's willing to give you free money, find a way to put in up to the full match. Now, you're not going to miss two or 3% on your paycheck, most likely, if you do it from the start. It's a little bit harder if you work somewhere for a couple of years and then they've got a 7% match and you say, okay, great, I'm going to put 7% in. Mm-hmm. You'll probably notice that. So, you know, that's again why we say do it early, do it often, start at the match and work your way up. That's kind of my rule of thumb. Again, I understand the logic it, and I'll, I'll let you speak to that actually, rather than me explaining the other side of it, Jason. Yeah, well, you're, uh, you're saying the match is so lucrative that you should figure out a way to take advantage of it. Basically, it's the old adage of paying yourself now, pay yourself first, mm-hmm. which is really smart. Uh, and I, I'm not really against this in principle. There's a lot of behavioral finance writings or research out there that, that says that this is a smart thing to do. Take advantage of the match. Um, the old, the old Dave Ramsey uh, baby steps method for this really is uh, getting that intensity while you have a bunch of consumer debt, pausing mm-hmm. even the match. It's one of the most controversial things I think he teaches. And my rule of thumb really is if you're going to get out of debt within three years, go full hog at it and don't worry about saving for retirement at all that time. And I know that's controversial, but if it's going to take you longer, you it's really hard to beat the math on the, the compounding of your retirement savings over five, 10 years, if you're not putting yeah. money in, it's probably yeah. going to out earn the interest rate you have on, you know, lower consumer, not like the 24% credit card debt you have, but you know, some <laughs> other stuff. Unless it opinion. was the last three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but that's just the point we, and we don't believe in market timing or anything, but you know, I could look at someone who skipped out on the free money and, and investing in their 401k at all over the last two and a half, three years think about how much further ahead they would be now if they were putting, let's say 5% in and the company's throwing 5% in as well. I mean, they got a leg up versus someone who starts this year and, you know, this year's up, but it, you know, it's not over yet. You you just, again, it's a market timing thing, but it's free money. I understand. and, And I think the Dave Ramsey principle is it should hurt and it should be motivation for you to get out of debt quicker. You should notice that you're missing out on the free money so that you buckle down and get through it. I totally understand it. I don't like leaving free money on the table. That's that's, right. that's where I stand. I hear you, man. So the amount that you put in there, let's just let's just go ahead and say this is like the hierarchy of of retirement savings. The first mm-hmm. place to look is always the employer match at your company plan because we just said that's a hundred percent return guaranteed. So you start there. Where do we go next? Well, no secret. 
We love Roth IRAs. If you can make a contribution love to those them. somehow, you should probably be checking that out. And we just did an episode recently on health savings accounts and using those for financial independence and for saving for retirement. Mm-hmm. Should, should we not check those out, Caleb? The, the double whammy? Yeah, I think you have to look at it. Isn't it a triple whammy? Uh, did we did we say a triple whammy? No, I think yeah. it, I don't know. I, we might have just said whammy. double whammy. It's a triple. It's whammy. at least a, it's at least a double whammy. Could, yeah. um. <laughs> <laughs> at minimum, it is two whammies. It's ag- so much whammy against the IRS. So I would look at those. We we've said before that fifteen percent of your income is a good rule of thumb, uh, mm-hmm. but it really depends on so many more variables to get your to get your financial independence number, the the retirement quotient, the. What are the other, there's all these other branded names for that number that you need. Oh, what's your number? Yeah. That's the one I remember all oh, the yeah. time, the old Voya commercials with the little orange rabbit. <laughs> or maybe I'm getting their ad campaigns. It was Voya though, I'm pretty sure. Or Ing. Or ING before Voya bought them. I don't know. Yeah. Ing. But, but here's here's an idea. Let's put some math behind it, Jason. Let's put let's, some math let's behind roll, it. Let's, let's roll this problem in some math. Let's say you make $100,000 and we say that magic number is 15%. And your company offers a 5% match. I would tell you, put 5% in. The company's going to give you 5 too. That's great. Okay. But you want to get to that magic number 15. I, I think the next place that you go is you look at Wait, your, stop. Uh, I have a question. You okay. put 5% in and they have a 5% match. Does that mean that you're now up to 10% of your income for our rule? That's a great question, Jason. 10% is going to retirement, but we want 15% of your income going to retirement, nice. correct? That's what I would say. Yeah, I would. I would. Gross, I would disregard income. I would disregard the company match for purposes of this exercise because having more money saved is always better than having less money. A- absolutely, absolutely. Um, so after you've exhausted the match, the next place that you go typically, and this is where it gets a little bit. Um, you know, we got to look at your situation uh, on a, a personal level, but Roth IRAs, if they're an option, uh, and then health savings accounts. But let's say beyond the health savings account, Roth IRA you still have some room and you say, okay, I, I, I want to contribute a little bit more. Now, what do I do? Well, that's where we would typically recommend that you go back to the 401k. Mm-hmm. When you've exhausted all of the other uh, tax preferred methods, go back to the IRA. And we like the Roth IRA and the HSA for a lot of different reasons. The whammies that we talked about. Whammy! The fact that you can typically invest those funds and have control over those funds uh, as well. And I I like the idea after our HSA episode. I loved it before. I love it even more after we got into it. You know that I consider that retirement money. Best case scenario, you cash flow medical expenses and you just let that grow tax free. Take it out at sixty five and, and factor that into your income. But yeah, I mean that's how we would typically look at it. Take the company match, get all the free money you can, then explore the options outside uh, where you have a lot of control over. Um, and, and you're working in conjunction with your financial advisor and your tax person. And, and then above and beyond that, go to the 401k. Another thing I recommend after that is, and this could be used before you hit the match too. If you just can't, let's, let's say your company's match is 7% and you can't, you just can't throw 7% in there. Does that mean you abandon the whole idea? Well, no, let's say you put 3% in to start. I like putting automation into all of this stuff. Almost every plan that I see out there will allow you to, at the beginning of the year, increase your contribution by X amount every year. So I tell everybody, even if you've hit that magic number, 15%, whatever, above and beyond that, increase that automatically by 1% every year. You're not going to notice that uh, on your, your pay stubs. 
you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna miss that one percent but again that's another you know when we look at compounding over 30 years next thing you know you're contributing 20 percent of your paycheck that's fantastic so i like the automation in there as well i've never seen that work out uh like no? over years I, people usually stop it because it gets big I have to say, I don't think I'm really a fan of setting the automated 1% a year increase. I know everybody, like, go, especially the 401k plan uh, custodian is like, yes, please do that. We need more yeah. money in here. And I get it. And you're saving more. And I'm, I'm sure there's good behavioral reasons for putting it in because you might not notice an incremental change like that. I've just never seen it work out in practice where where folks have, ended, have. ended up where they ended up with 20%. Yeah, you have? I, I saw one with 25%. Um, That's amazing. And they had a great plan too, actually, like a 10% match, which is unheard of. Oh my goodness, um, that's awesome. <laughs> but I, I like the automation behind it. Um, you know, it's okay for you to disagree with me. I don't think we're going to, I don't think that we're going to come to fisticuffs over this one. <laughs> but I mean, the idea I, I think really is, you know, if, if we exhaust the match and then the other avenues and you're still looking for places to go, well, unless you've you've hit your your contribution limit on your four hundred one k, you know I like the idea of just ticking that up every year. I think it's um, I think it's just like the nerd in me that's like, no, I want complete control. I want to have the exact dollar amount in there to reach you know whatever the expected end game is. I'm sure there's I've, I know there's value in in doing that too, and 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 just pumping it up without thinking about it. Automating things so, is good. You won't you know screw it up. So maybe this is food for thought, but what if you've got a Roth 401k available and you've maxed out your Roth IRA, you've maxed out your company match, uh, you're, you're saying that you would rather go somewhere else with those extra contributions? No, I'm just saying I wouldn't have an automated 1% a year thing come in. I would have, okay. I would, I would reset it every year when I've decided what I want my plan to be for how much I need to save. I think going into the plan up to the match, then into a Roth, usually if you can get in there and there might be some fancy ways, then looking at HSAs if you have that option and then coming back into the company plan until it's maxed out is awesome for for saving up if we're only talking about tax qualified money. Now, remember, mm-hmm. all this money, you are going to have a penalty if you take it out before the retirement age, whether that's 55 or 59 and a half and in, in, depending on the account or 65 for the HSA. Maybe I would, depending on your your goals not recommend maxing out the 401k with all the other money for saving. That's probably a different episode um, because it really depends on the flexibility. Uh, if you yeah. if you're planning on being totally financially independent and retiring with quotation marks at you know 48, oh sure, so that you can travel the world, you're going to want to have some money saved in some other spots too. So yeah. it, it might That's be lo- worth looking at that. But if you're you're that aggressive, you're probably still going to be maxing out your company plans too. So yeah, I would think so. Usually you were right there. That, that's 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 what I think I, about it. I, I just I just like the manual control rather than the automated. And I don't know why. Well, I think that if you're um, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I think that if you're working with a financial advisor, if you are, they should be asking you about these things, by the way. Um, we like to spend time with our clients to talk about their 401k plan. A lot of folks think that we're getting way, you know, too into their business. Maybe I don't know. But um, if you're having a meeting, you know, at the end of the year and you're looking at your your benefits, um, you know, open enrollment period and things like that, you should be talking to your financial advisor about it. And yeah, Jason, if you can sit down with your financial advisor and come to the numbers that, you know, this year we're going to put this much here, this much here, this much here and so on and so forth. That's great. If you're doing this solo on your own, you know, I like some automation, but in an ideal world, you'd be working with a financial advisor who's helping you direct the traffic kind of and intentionally every year looking at where every dollar's going. Yeah. 
It can be awesome. Caleb, let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about in four minutes or less. Yeah. <laughs> Picking the actual investment options inside the 401k. So this is where this is where your bread gets buttered. This is where everybody gets real into the numbers. And they're looking at sharp ratios and yeah. PE and they're looking at Sortino ratios and alpha and beta, right? Disco, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, R squared, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, this is really, uh, this is the part that everybody likes to talk about. It's the sexy part, right? However, <laughs> wah, 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 wah. how much time do we really spend on this? I mean, it's important. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the idea is have investments and have them long term and don't buy crappy investments and you're going to be all right, yeah. most likely. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the number, Jason? When we look at how much of your returns is based on your allocation, not your actual investment. I wish I had the actual study to pull up, but 80% of your return, I think, is based most off your allocation rather than the inv- individual investments themselves. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll Google that quick. So <laughs> so basically what you're saying there is, uh, you know, if you should have a 75% stock to 25% bond portfolio, you're going to get 80% of your returns based on just having those numbers in line. The additional 20% is kind of up to the investments that you seek out or, or that you decide to employ. You can do it. I've seen people overthink this, a- approach it like it's rocket science and do oh, yeah. a really bad job with investment selection. I mean, I've seen I've seen all of it, man. You've <laughs> For the most part, if you're in those ranges, though, you're, you're going to be as long as your allocation is appropriate, you're probably going to be OK. So how do we go about achieving those the correct allocation, Jason? And and how do you know, you know, your allocation should be different when you start out at age 21 in your 401k than it should be at age 61 when you're thinking about retiring, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. I, well, see, I right away I bristle at that. That's conventional wisdom. It makes sense, but at 61 you're not going to take all your money out either. The idea is you have you can you have less time to recover from catastrophic losses mm-hmm. uh, when you are close to when you're drawing money out of your retirement accounts rather than when you are throwing money in. That probably does make sense. I think you do usually pick a different allocation when you are taking distributions from the account rather than when you're allocating. But and those numbers have looked different over the last five to 10 years, I think, than what they would be traditionally, just because of where bonds are and returns. And I, I know. I, that's true. Well, we, because we look, we look at what the conventional 60-40 portfolio has done over a historically long yeah. period, and it's not going to cut it now, even though you could look at the numbers and say, well, look, if you go 60-40, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So <laughs> investing in the so-called safe assets that you used to be able to invest in, like bonds and yeah. treasuries um, and CDs, for that matter, used to re- they used to return you something that was livable. And they don't yeah. now. So I get I get uh, why you're saying I could be skewed with with a little little recency bias on that. And that is true, especially as we are right now. But most of my argument comes from when do you stop being a long term investor? Is it when you turn 59 and a half? Is it when you take Medicare? And it's not like ideally, if you've been growing this money your whole career and mm-hmm. you've retired now, you still are probably going to grow it, hopefully for another 25, 30 maybe 40, 50 years with the medical modern science that we have. That's my my argument is not being overly conservative when you're saving for retirement because your time horizon is probably long. Yeah, I I think that the mistake is planning to retirement and not through retirement. You got to realize that when you retire with life expectancy where it's at, you should be planning on 25 to 30 years 
uh, all of our financial planning software, if they have you retiring at 65, you know, we're, we're almost banking on 30 years of, of withdrawals. Man, I was at a, like a, a keynote a presentation by uh, Rick Edelman, who runs a giant registered investment advisory firm. And he was like, if you are a financial advisor and your planning horizon is only out to age 95, you are committing malpractice. Oh, he's like your clients. Oh, he's he was, shots fired. It was a little bit of a of a a crazy shock jockey. Yeah, like he's <laughs> like we're gonna cure death. When he said that, I was like, okay. no, I mean you're not Jesus. But he was raising an interesting point that lifespans are are continuing to get longer and longer. So yeah. he's like, your clients now will live to 150. Are you planning out that long? No, but that that's to get to the point though is that you're still a long term yeah. investor even when you retire. So Jason, let me ask you, because we see 401ks every day, uh, what's becoming more and more and more popular is target date funds. Yes. Uh, it's the set it and forget it approach. What, what do you think? I mean, let's, all right, let's be fair here. Is that, a, is that feasible in your opinion? I have my own. Um, there, are, there are, it's feasible. I mean, there are worse things you could do. It's definitely better like than- invest. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely better than what some folks have done. And I've seen all sorts of strategies for picking investments in 401k. It's like uh-huh. pick 10 funds and put 10% in each of those. Mm. What that doesn't, I mean, I, why 10? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, or pick most Very people, arbitrary. most people just pick one fund and they sit it there. And sometimes Caleb, it's a, it's some fun that doesn't grow like a, yeah. like a preservation, stable value. A stable value fund. Target date portfolios have been invented to uh, lift that risk out of the 401k. Yeah. The problem is a target date fund is, is based on your age, which, you know, it could be okay. Um, but it usually is full of poorly performing funds that the co- record keeper or custodian wanted to put into the target date fund. And they're expensive. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a fund of funds, typically, meaning it's a fund with a lot of different funds in it. So you're, you get kind of a, a layering of expenses. The issue that I have with it is I like the mentality, right? You can say, all right, well, you can buy this same fund, mm-hmm. you know, when you first start participating in your 401k at age 21 and not change a thing right. until you retire. And and that thing's going to move and change uh, and, and the allocation is going to rebalance based on your age so that right. when you retire, it's going to be appropriate and it's going to do all this along the way. Well, my big problem with that is uh, I have a couple, but one is the fact that it's based on that old school idea that well, okay, if you're 30 years old, you should have 30% in bonds and 70% in stocks. Yeah. If I see a 30-year-old with 30% in bonds on their 401k statement, I'm flipping my lid. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going crazy. You shouldn't even be sniffing a bond at age 30, in my opinion. Yeah, they do not smell good to 30-year-olds. No. So you got that idea. It's based on that old portfolio theory. The other thing that we see a lot of times with you know strategists in general is what we do is we we kind of go with an idea and every year that it doesn't perform, we double down because mm-hmm. it's more likely that it's going to work. So we yeah. see these target date funds with, you know, maybe they've got 90% in stocks for someone in their 20s or 30s, but 45% of it's in international stocks. Yeah. Um, so I like anything else, I'm a proponent of taking control um, in a target date fund. It's going to, I mean, it's going to do its own thing based on whatever the strategist has in mind. Um, and, and that's how you end up with those really wacky out of, out of line allocations in my opinion. Um, so is it the worst thing that you can do? No, there's a lot of worse things that you could do, but is it the best thing that you can do? Not by far. Cool, man. That's good. What about stable value funds? Because you, you brought it up. 
I wouldn't do it. You're putting money into a, <laughs> an, into an account to the whole reason you're putting money into a 401k is to take advantage of tax deferred growth. It has to grow. Don't yeah. put it in there. Stop saving into your 401k if you want to hoard cash. It's not a good place for it. That's my opinion. Not for, uh, you know, if you would have started re- a retirement fund in 2009, that's now 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say you, you just put money in that stable value account because you say, I go to work, I work hard, and I don't want to be able to lose any of this. You know, what kind of return could you expect over the last 12 years? It, it, it's not going to be much. Um, so remember, every every dime that you're putting into re- retirement is money that you're probably not touching for, you know, especially when you're younger. If you think about it along the lines of, I can't touch this for 30 years, then why would you invest it like you need it tomorrow? Good point. We, that, that was fun. Yeah, that was Any fun. more on allocation, Jason? We, well, we want to talk about giving a basic allocation recommendation. That's probably a different episode. So we'll do that again yeah. later. Let's uh, let's move it on, Caleb. Okay. We're going to move it on. A uh, lot of great stuff today. Uh, this, is, um, this is more fun than I thought it would be. And I thought it would be <laughs> fun, Jason. So all that being said, why don't we distill it down here real quick and, and hit some bullet points and, and uh, action items for our listeners. Yeah, all being said... How does a 401k work? Well, you put money in and your company might match it. If they match it and you have a Roth 401k option and you pick it, the Roth option is really good for you. Their match will go into the traditional 401k side and that's fine. Yeah, the Roth option is good for everybody, regardless of your income, unless you severely need a tax break now. Roth IRA, different story because of, of the uh, the different qualifications involved. But a Roth 401k, it's one of the best things going out there. So action item, find out what kind of 401k you have or 403b or 457. If you have Roth available, you need to look at that as an option. Yeah. And a bullet point two, if you have a match, consider taking advantage of it right now. You're leaving money on the table if you are not. Bullet point three, how much should you put in? Use our 15% rule of thumb. Start at the match and then explore a Roth IRA, explore a health savings account. Check out our two episodes on Roth IRAs and health savings accounts if you have some other questions about that. Or reach out to us at the Speakeasy on Facebook. What's another distilled down bullet point action item for our listeners, Caleb? Make sure your allocation is in line with your goals. Don't just accept the default uh, as appropriate because it's the default. It probably is not the best for you. And going forward, the default is in in a lot of these plans, it is the target date fund. So could you be doing worse? Absolutely. But it's still not ideal. So, you know, seek out the advice of a competent financial advisor. Uh, If you're working with one, they should be more than happy to look at your 401k as part of your overall financial plan. Make sure that your allocation is in line with your goals and, and your time frame. Anything else to add, Jason? Absolutely not. All right. So I think we're going to move this along to the next segment, which is questions straight up. All right. So Tony asks, and he called in to ask, this is a good one. This is going to be a lot of fun. Are guns, cars, knives and that sort of thing an investment and specifically i've got a car that i can get my hands on for six thousand five hundred dollars that i know is worth twenty thousand it's a bit of a contentious issue in the household what do you think this is an entire episode unto itself <laughs> caleb this sounds like a marriage problem and uh, to be real quick uh, or quick with it i would just say tony this is a really good question are you ever going to sell that car okay 
That's it. That's that's the question I would ask. Why are you buying it? Because is it a toy or is it an investment? An investment is is made to fund something else. This sounds like the kind of thing that you use your investments to fund because you enjoy yeah. it. And there's nothing wrong with buying things you enjoy if you can afford it. So uh, this is this is funny because normally I would say uh, if I'm going to sell it, then I wouldn't classify it as an investment. I would say an investment is something that I plan to keep and appreciate. Uh-huh. However, in this case, I'd say if you just plan to keep it, it's a toy. It's not an investment. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Tony clarified later when I was talking to him and he's like, well, it's like if we needed the money, I would sell it for sure. Okay. I'm like, well, I get it, but I would sell... You know, if if one of my kids needed a treatment and I didn't have money for it, I'd sell my leg. I don't count that as an That's investment. True. I think it's a great question. It's something that we should talk about a lot, like investing yeah. in other things. Really, I see this. If you're doing like if you're buying and flipping stuff, Caleb, you do this all the time. That's a that's a small business. That's a side hustle. That's yeah. awesome. If the point is to make money and enjoy yes. it while you're doing it, that's fine. Uh, calling it an investment sounds like a way to justify the purchase to your uh, super awesome wife. Uh, Tony, I, I like the idea of a $6,500 investment for a $20,000 sale. That's a pretty good flip in my opinion. Oh, yeah. uh, if that's the question, go for it, my man. Uh, but if you are asking us to say, yeah, go ahead, buy that toy. Uh, I'm Do it. Say, We've just given you permission. Right? If you're looking for permission, that's what you got, Tony. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Jason, this is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. This is a great place to share a recipe or a story or any thoughts, questions, and emotional outbursts that they may have. Uh, Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? Why, yes, it did, Caleb. Cassie, our number one super fan, says, Hey. <laughs> great episode, guys. Loved the utility belt bit. <laughs> uh, three laughy faces. And for the record, Prosecco is a hard C, not a CH sound. Oh. <laughs> Well, excuse me. I know that. Or was she, that you that said that? I think I said that because I was I was quoting Chase's recommendation for spritzes in Italy, and I was <laughs> That's like, right. "Prosecco." And she was all like, joking aside. It's a hard see. We always learn something from Cassie, don't we? Uh, yeah, she's annoyingly smart. <laughs> Sorry if our pun game hasn't been on point lately. We got to work on that. <laughs> I know she appreciates that. Cool. Got another one here. Marcus Burns says, I'm really enjoying your content. The right balance of education, drink knowledge, and fun. Keep filling the cup because like I always say, you can't pour anything out of an empty cup. Cheers. Marcus also posted a picture of some pappy, which made me jealous. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I would like to try that sometime. Yeah. Show off. (laughs) So yeah, if you're going to post that picture, be willing to share. Uh, But Marcus also has a podcast uh, called uh, What's in Your Cup. So check it out. Yeah, that's awesome, Caleb. That's great. Thanks a lot, Marcus. All right. I think it's that time. We're going to close out the tab. So thanks for having a drink with us, folks. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. 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 <laughs> I bet they can edit us saying it at the same time. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> 
Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.